It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. More news coming out of uh, Ukraine, Russian missile strikes, uh, knocking out power, and uh, the entire country under uh, air raid alarm. Uh, as uh, the day plays out, uh, this, of course, is a now months-long assault and one that is not likely to get uh, much relief in the winter when the ground softens, harder for the Russian heavy equipment. Uh, so weather is a factor there as well. And, uh, of course, during the freeze, we'll see how the people who are living in meager conditions uh, around much of Ukraine, how they will fare. Uh, joining me to put this all in perspectives, including should we have the Cold War, a new Cold War with Russia as Ambassador Francis Rooney. Ambassador Rooney, uh, first, great to talk to you again. It's been a while and good to have you here on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to talk to you. So let's talk about that idea, your op-ed in The Hill. Uh, if Putin wants a Cold War, the world should give him one. Now, before you answer that, I've seen points of failure where that type of approach could have been used. For instance, yes, he was removed, or not he, but Russia from the SWIFT banking system. But yet the failure point there was to let oil and uh, energy payments go through as an exception so the action was never complete where it mattered most to his economy so how do we give him a cold war well you're exactly right about that it was a great disappointment to me that they went ahead and allowed russia to sell really their only cash crop which is oil i mean we if we want this to work we've got to cut them off entirely we've got to put maximum pressure on u.s on, on western companies to get out of there We've got to uh, stop the flow of their oil to Europe, and, uh, and and then we've got to keep the heat on them uh, by supporting the Ukraine. How do we execute that effectively? And when I say we, not just the United States, because if this is really to work, it would seem that we would have to have both the EU on board. NATO, of course, is not a direct factor, but nations within NATO and EU where there's overlap. And then, you know, the Office of Overseas Cooperation in Europe should be a part of this. And that is, for lack of a better term, not even fully staffed to do the job. Yeah, I think the OSCE and the OECD should both be involved in that. And we need we can't do it without Europe's uh, will and support. I mean, you know, we can't we can block Russia all day long, but as long as Germany buys our oil or something, forget it. And so it's a it's a really a global challenge, and it's it's good to see some stepping up by the Europeans. It's good to see Macron talking about how do we get out of this thing diplomatically, but uh, doesn't seem that anybody's actually been able to convene any talks or anything. So we just have to keep the pressure on. Every time we round, so point, round up a, dip, a, a, a billionaire from over there, I think it puts a little more uh, pressure, and, and maybe we'll start to get some more pressure out of them as well as consumers in Russia. Let's talk about diplomacy. In order for diplomacy to work as one of the instruments of national power, it is the first, the D in dime. In order for it to work, there has to be will and there has to be uh, action taken. 
And while, as you mentioned, Macron may talk about diplomacy, another factor with Putin, particularly in his leadership, is that there are times when defeat first, you know, whether you want to call it victory by Ukraine or defeat for Russia, same thing. That has to exist to get to a point where diplomacy can be used effectively. And to the term off-ramp, right now, unless you see another angle, most of the people I've talked to said there's not an off-ramp diplomatically for Putin. Well, the only thing I can think of is that we use NATO entry for the Ukraine as a bargaining chip to uh, to get them to uh, stop fighting. But the way things are going now, I think it's more complicated because the Ukraine's actually doing pretty good in the areas that Russia has held for a long time down there right on the border of Crimea. So uh, that's the only thing I can think of offering is the NATO card. Is, it, is the NATO card enough? And I'll put it in this context. Energy, of course, you're the cash crop you reference. Uh, others will buy. If Germany, who has been firing up coal plants, does not. If uh, other nations don't buy, certainly China, Iran, uh, possibly India, Indonesia, others who have shown that they will buy energy from wherever it's needed, even buying from Venezuela, will do that. So how do you push Putin when he has backup buyers or really maybe primarily buyers right now? Well, you know, he's going to sell it to China, North Korea, if, we, if he doesn't sell it to Europe. There's no doubt about it. But it certainly strengthens China's bargaining position on what they're willing to pay for it. And, you know, the, the Arab countries are more than willing to sell oil, too. So probably bring the price down. Let me throw a crazy idea out there, Ambassador Rooney. Uh, American energy, global commodity, even at the starting point of a change in policy by the Biden administration, which is right where I run into the brick wall or really a steel wall against the the energy policy. If, If we were to put that commodity out on the market, if we started to bring prices down, which would bring Putin's revenue down, hell, OPEC plus is OPEC plus Russia, when you really look at it, uh, that would make sense. But we're not going to get that out of the Biden administration. Like I said, I run into a brick wall when, in fact, one of the greatest instruments, the economic, is to bring down the price of oil. Well, we're not going to get much good at the Biden administration. That's, they seem to hit it in the net at every effort. Um, we need Europe. We need Europe to say, okay, we're going to try this $60 price cap, but basically we're just not going to buy any of their oil. We need to take it to the next level. Otherwise, they're going to be, we're going to continue to fight this guy until he annihilates the whole country. Well, that then brings me to the next question, which is, is this are we back to uh, a need for a defeat of Putin? Uh, it, does he get bogged down in this case in a Ukrainian winter uh, and defeat? And then, you know, look, we're sending there may not be a direct prevailing national security interest, but there are other interests involved. However, there's a lot of questions across the board and from different quarters about the amount of aid we're sending to Ukraine. Do we increase to more in one scenario to more lethal 
uh, and capable aid, switchblades and others are low-tech. We don't want to put all our high-tech out there on the, on the battlefield when we don't have full control. Uh, but given Ukraine the ability to outright defeat Russia, which, you know, could be possible. Yeah, well, I think we are stepping up. I mean, I, I, they're giving them more higher range and more types of uh, missiles. I think they're fearful of giving him anything that he that they can use in Russia, or very deep into Russia, and that's probably part of the strategy of trying to avoid driving him to use tactical nukes. Yeah, and that's you know where things get a little bit uh, dicey to say the least. I mean, during the Cold War, mutually assured dis- destruction, uh, I, I think was you know even back then in real time. I remember a lot of questions about what would happen. But now with the dynamics different, do you really think and is there a basis for the concerns about Putin's use of uh, nuclear weapons in any form today versus what we faced with MAD? I I would say no, only because it's it's probably going to be limited to the short range tactical nukes. I don't I don't think Putin is going to dare to hit like Germany or something. All right. Well, we will uh, certainly be keeping a close eye on this uh, energy and where the situation is. Call it the exit question here. My guest, Ambassador Rooney, uh, let, let's talk about the energy component. If Germany's successful in firing up more coal plants and others become disconnected from Russian energy, Baltic 2 opened in October. That brings energy from the Norwegian fields into Denmark and Poland. So Eastern Europe could begin to tear itself away even more. Uh, while Putin will sell to other countries, China and others, uh, how much do you think that could help, tearing away from him in Eastern Europe? Uh, that could help. And, and the more that we can shore up our commitments with the former Iron Curtain countries that are friendly to us, which is pretty much all of them except Belarus, uh, you know, the, the better off we are. We've kind of replaced the Iron Curtain with a Western alliance most of whom are in NATO, and uh, that has its own set of risks for us as with Putin's idea of nukes. The amount of resources we might have to stick into the rest of Eastern Europe is a little scary thought. I can tell you one thing. There's a lot of concerned people on both sides, as you know, about how this plays out. Uh, and I think we're in a position of sometimes we have to watch and see what happens. Sometimes you just... You can affect, but you certainly can't control. Uh, and the off-ramp, I think the off-ramp's gone, in all honesty. I think it, there are some circumstances in world history we look back and realize that first you had to have victory in order to have negotiation. And unless Putin changes his stripes, he needs to be beaten before he'll come to the table. Probably. And or have a little bit of more unrest in the country, but he's got it pretty locked down. It's very difficult to, to create unrest in that authoritarian regime like that uh yeah people think they have to get seriously out of control like 1917 level out of control yeah we will see ambassador francis rooney thank you as always sir thank you very much you can join me live on the david webb show monday to friday nine to noon east on sirius xm patriot 125